Judge Amy Coney Barrett's Supreme Court confirmation hearings are underway, and it's going about as you'd expect. SNL this weekend had some intense cringe and a very real and hilarious moment from Kate McKinnon. And we've got BuzzFeed News White House reporter Kadia Goba here to talk about Trump's re-election bid. The date, October 12th, 2020. The time, news o'clock. Hey everyone, I'm Hayes Brown. And I'm Casey Rackham. Welcome to BuzzFeed's News O'Clock. Happy question mark Columbus Day. Is that something that people still say to each other? Or do we say, I'm sorry, it's Columbus Day? Yeah, we definitely don't say that to each other. But also Google Calendar has two holidays for today. It says Columbus Day and Indigenous Peoples Day. So I just noticed that today. But um, yeah, I'd much rather go with Indigenous Peoples Day than Columbus Day. Wow. Google just really trying to split the difference here. Google the centrist (laughs) playing the moderate lane in 2020. (laughs) Okay, time for today's top stories. Here's what you need to know. First up, despite the ongoing everything, the Senate Judiciary Committee met for the first of four days of hearings to confirm Judge Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Opening statements went about as you'd expect. Democrats on the committee argue that the nomination was made way too close to the election, especially after the lack of hearings from Merrick Garland back in 2016. Unlike four years ago as well, citizens in 40 states have already cast ballots, they argue. They're also pretty dang concerned about the first case Barrett could rule on. But most importantly, in just a few weeks, on November 10th, the Supreme Court will hear hearings in Texas v. California, a case brought to strike down the the ACA. The president has promised to appoint justices who will vote to dismantle that law. As a candidate, he criticized the Supreme Court for upholding the law and said, and I quote, if I win the presidency, my judicial appointments will do the right thing, unlike Bush's appointee John Roberts on Obamacare. Meanwhile, the committee's Republicans are like, Merrick who? Instead, they're just pointing out that when the president and Senate are aligned, judges are mostly confirmed, even when it's close to an election. Well, again, the Senate precedent is quite clear, and this is something that our Democratic friends do not want to address, do not want to confront. Of those 29 times, 19 of them occurred when the president and the Senate were of the same party. And when the president and the senator are the same party, history shows that those nominees get confirmed. 17 of those 19 were confirmed for vacancies that occurred during a presidential election year. The remaining 10 occurred when the Senate and the president were of different parties. When the president and senator of different parties, the Senate over history has confirmed only two of those 10 nominees. The hearings start come as polls show that Judiciary Chairman Lindsey Graham is in a dead heat against opponent Jamie Harrison in a race to hold on to his South Carolina seat. And Graham needed the spotlight of these hearings since Harrison just smashed a fundraising record, raising a whopping $57 million in the third quarter, the most raised by any Senate candidate in a single quarter ever. Meanwhile, just north of that race, North Carolina is embroiled in a legal battle over the curing or correcting of mail-in ballots. The state's Board of Elections declared in early October that voters could submit an affidavit along with their ballot to county election officials. Among the fixes that the affidavit could cover would be ballots sent in without a witness signature. 
But now a federal judge has tabled that decision, saying that it came too close to the election. According to an analysis from the Washington Post, that puts almost 7,000 ballots that are currently marked as pending cure in limbo. That includes 2,776 from black voters. And those votes matter. As the Post notes, quote, in 2008, Barack Obama won North Carolina by just 14,177 votes. It's also, by the way, not the first time North Carolina has been in trouble over its voting laws and voting record. Back in 2016, the courts ruled that a voter ID law there targeted black voters with, quote, almost surgical precision for disenfranchisement. Finally, let's talk about movement on a new coronavirus stimulus bill or the lack thereof. White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany explained today that the Senate Republicans would absolutely follow President Trump's lead. Well, I believe Senate Republicans would ultimately come along with what the president wants. The president noted that yesterday, too. We believe Senate Republicans are not what's blocking this. Um, It is Democrats. But that is not what Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said in the last week. McConnell has put the kibosh on the idea of more stimulus anytime soon, rejecting both the House Democrats' $2.2 trillion proposal and a White House offer of a stimulus package worth $1.8 trillion. Trump himself walked away from talks last week, handing the Democrats a major talking point and depriving himself of a potential win ahead of the election. Since then, he's reportedly been scrambling to get something, anything, passed, even smaller piecemeal bills that tackle things like direct $1,200 checks. Friendly reminder that uh, people affected by COVID-19 in Australia have been getting $3,000 a month since April, and people in Canada have been getting $2,000 per month. Congress has not passed another relief bill since the original four from the spring, which totaled around $3 trillion. Well, I know at this point that this is like cliche in general, but everything's a mess. A hot one, a hot mess, Casey. But like just specifically, I mean, especially from like Trump's actions and not being able to pass anything, just extremely frazzled. You know, we're hearing about what's happening in North Carolina. Um, This is the tip of the iceberg for all the problems we're going to have in various states. And it's just like extremely concerning and overwhelming. Yep. Yep. That's the Monday vibe today. And uh, I have to point out, too, like at those confirmation hearings, judiciary, they almost didn't happen because two members of the Judiciary Committee tested positive coronavirus in recent weeks. One of them, Tom Tillis of North Carolina, eh, North Carolina again, he zoomed in for this hybrid hearing because half some of the people were uh, in the committee room. Some of them were remote. Tom Tillis is one of them. Mike Lee of Utah, though, was at the hearings in person, not wearing a mask. And he he got a letter from the physician at the Capitol saying that because of when his symptoms started, et cetera, et cetera, that he should be fine to be out of isolation. He did not say, though, I'm sure he's fine to not wear a mask. I, it's totally legit. Great. Yep. I got all the good news <laughs> for you today, Casey. All right. What's going on in your corner of the world today? Well, we found out this weekend that Gal Gadot will be portraying Cleopatra in a new film helmed by her Wonder Woman director, Patty Jenkins. The announcement was met with some praise on Twitter because Gal Gadot, duh. But some were also pretty pissed that a white woman was cast as the Egyptian queen, with many asking why a black actor or actor of Arab descent was not offered the role. Further confusing the debate is the fact that Cleopatra was likely mostly Greek, possibly with some Persian and Syrian ancestry. I mean, who doesn't want to debate whether or not the Ptolemaic uh, Egyptians were actually Egyptian or not in 2020? I think that's a great use of our time. 
yeah, we've got time for it. And then in the couple months we have left, let's just throw it on. Why not? I mean, I, yeah, Cleopatra was pr- probably mostly Greek. I, I, that's just a, a fact. But I mean, they were in Egypt running things for like over 200 years. So how, how little Egypt got into their bloodstream, I guess, is a question that I have. Well, Hayes, I'm sure we're going to get something special from the creator of the Imagine video. Mm, Oh, no. Wow. Throwback. (laughs) Okay, moving on to SNL. If you thought the biggest drama out of this weekend show would be around the musical performer, you'd be wrong. Comedian Bill Burr was the host and his opening monologue was exactly what you think it would be, a comedy set. And yes, just like an open mic night, there were some uh, especially cringy moments. The month of June is Gay Pride Month. That's a little long, don't you think? <laughs> For a group of people that were never enslaved. <laughs> how, did, how did they get all in June? Dude, black people were actually enslaved. They get February. They get 28 days of overcast weather. Sun goes down at four in the afternoon. Everybody's shivering. Nobody wants to go on the parade. Opening monologue aside, one truly delightful moment happened when Kate McKinnon broke character at the end of a weekend update bit introducing a new character, Dr. We Know Dis. The sketch consisted of her either answering, we know this, or we don't know this, as Colin Jost peppered her with questions about Trump's coronavirus diagnosis. Everything was going well until McKinnon attempted to give Jost a blood pressure test, and uh, that's when things went off the rails. Are you okay? I'm obviously not. <laughs> what? What is going on? I'm sorry, you guys. It's such a crazy time, and this is something I started doing to cope. I have a lot of wigs and mustaches at my disposal, and it's a nice way to escape. You know, it's refreshing to play a character who, um, who notice. <laughs> I'm crying, Hayes. You just really feel it. She's like, obviously, I'm not okay. <laughs> she, Kate McKinnon, you national treasure, you icon, you you talker of truth. Wow. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I need to go back and watch all of that now. I don't need to go back and re-watch all of Bill uh, Burr's monologue. I just want to say know. Bill Barr, which is not the case. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Twitter's like completely divided. Like you either liked his set or you didn't like his set and stuff like that. For me, it's like, I think he had a lot of good content in his set, but it's like, did I need to hear it from a middle-aged white straight man? No. No. If Chris Rock had delivered that material, I think it would have been much funnier, personally speaking. <laughs> Hearing him say it is like, mm, I know it's correct, but it still sits wrong on the inside to hear you say <laughs> yep, it like exactly. that. Like, mm, I appreciate, as a black man, I appreciate your concern. However, did we ask for it? <laughs> okay, wait, Hayes. There's one more thing I want to talk about in the episode. You know how you hate the fly that landed on Pence's head and you refuse to give it more attention? Yes, I do, unfortunately. Okay, well, obviously, you know that SNL wasn't not going to have the fly incorporated somehow. So how do you, as someone who didn't watch the episode, think they handled the fly in the cold open? Oh, gosh. Did they? They didn't actually get Jeff Goldblum to do it, did they? Did they? <laughs> Wait! <laughs> 
Okay, you're semi-close, okay? So I'm going to describe this to you. Okay. And I never saw this coming. (laughs) While watching the debate at home, Biden decides he wants to save Kamala by teleporting to the debate. It then turns into 1986's The Fly, starring Jeff Goldblum, where Biden is teleported as a fly onto Mike Pence's head. What follows is Jim Carrey doing impressions of Biden doing impressions of Jeff Goldblum (laughs) as a fly on Pence's head until... We're not done yet. Herman Cain as a fly shows up and tells everyone at home not to trust this white devil about the Rona. I I need to know the amount and type of drugs the SNL writers were on this week. Like, what have they done to themselves to make this happen? such an insane fever dream. I co- I was like, what's happening? It's just like, I think it's so funny because everyone was like, oh my God, which SNL cast member is going to have to dress up like a fly for the cold open? And I was like, <laughs> nope, they went a completely different direction. <laughs> I really appreciate that, Zag, because we were all expecting a zig. All right. <sighs> okay. After the break, when we have caught our breath and gotten that description out of our heads, we'll be talking to BuzzFeed News White House reporter Kadia Goba about what it's like to cover a press with COVID-19. Stick around. At SheFit, we're tired of hearing new year, new you, fat-burning secrets, and lose weight fast. The only thing you need to lose is self-doubt. The body you're in deserves respect, love, and support. Support you're not getting from your current sports bra. It's time to experience the only sports bra that actually does its job and outperforms the most popular brands on the market. It's time to feel real support from SheFit. Save $10 today at SheFit.com slash 2022. Hello. Hello. Hi. Oh my God, I want to come through the screen and hug you. Hey everybody, Jessica Zor here, also known as Vanessa Abrams on Gossip Girl. I am so excited to share my new podcast with you guys. It's called XOXO, and it's a walk down memory lane all about Gossip Girl. I'll chat with some of the cast, crew, fans of the show, and I'm just so pumped for you guys to go on this journey with me. Hi, I'm Ed Westwick. I played Chuck Bass. I just can't believe that I did that with my life. Jay, we had like the most amazing time. Listen to XOXO on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Raffi is the voice of some of the happiest songs of our generation. Baby Beluga. So who is the man behind Baby Beluga? Every human being wants to feel respected. When we start with young children, all good things can grow from there. I'm Chris Garcia, comedian, new dad, and host of Finding Raffi, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Fatherly. Listen every Tuesday on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back. You'd think that we'd be used to the chaos at the White House after almost four years of this. But when the president tested positive for coronavirus earlier this month, things got even weirder than ever and potentially more dangerous. Now, President Trump wants to go back out on the campaign trail and his staff seems ready to let him. 
We're joined by Kadia Goba, BuzzFeed News White House reporter and Trump re-election campaign correspondent. Good afternoon, Kadia. Good afternoon, Hayes and company. <laughs> <laughs> so let's start off with last week uh, when Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany uh, tested positive for coronavirus. BuzzFeed News pulled you from the White House press pool. What made you think that decision was necessary? So I want to be clear that BuzzFeed News' decision was to pull me from that specific pool date. And the company understood there was a risk after several staff members and reporters had tested positive and they weighed the advantages and it was just better that I not go to that pool date. Fair enough. What was the reaction, uh, if any, you got from your fellow journalists, especially those who are also covering the White House? So no one reached out from the White House, but I have to say um, my colleagues in New York, a lot of people tweeted or sent me messages first asking if I was okay, because maybe I think the assumption was that I had tested positive at that point, but that that's not the case. And secondly, like, good for your company standing up for you and um, pulling you out of a hazardous situation like that until they get their stuff together. This morning, White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows said this when talking to a pool of reporters. Take a listen. Tell you what, let me do this. Let me pull this away. Yep, pull away. And then that way I can take this off the top. Well, I'm more than 10 feet away. I'm not, well, okay. I'm not going to talk to the mask. Just to be clear, that's the White House chief of staff refusing to wear a mask while talking to reporters while inside. Has the White House done really anything to change its behavior in the last few weeks since Trump tested positive? So to be perfectly honest, you did see immediately after the press secretary, Kayleigh McEnany, test positive, and the president, I should add, that you saw staffers wearing masks. You saw high-level officials wearing masks, but again, taking them off during press conferences. This is exactly what happened during a gaggle with uh, the press secretary the other day. She was apparently wearing a mask and then took it off um, when she addressed reporters. CDC guidelines suggest that you should do it when you leave your house. So, I mean, if the rest of the country or many people in the country are abiding by that. It's only fair that White House officials do the same. So, Kadir, you were just in Florida covering a Trumpless Trump rally this weekend. Given this was after the president had been diagnosed with COVID, did it seem like anyone there in attendance was taking the virus more seriously than they had been before? No. No, just bam, period. (laughs) I mean, it was a question that I asked. It'll come out in some reporting that I'm doing today, particularly within seniors. I visited the Villages, which is a senior community, and the response is just amazing. One, the lack of masks at um, a rally where I'd say roughly 2,000 seniors attended, and then just talking to them individually and seeing what they feel or has the president's diagnosis changed their mind about coronavirus? And no, they're focused on taxes and they're focused on law and order. So do you think the seniors who were in the audience gave the same sort of reaction to Pence being there that you would have expected if Trump himself was out campaigning? I do think so. I think um, there's definitely for the diehard people, there's just this attraction to this whole MAGA concept. I'm not sure if it's enduring, if it could sustain after the 2020 election. But I do think they express the same fervor that they would have for uh, the president coming. 
Over the weekend, President Trump gave an address from a balcony at the White House after advisors said he's all better. But have we gotten any hard evidence that he's actually ready to go back out for rallies and a regular campaign schedule? No. And it's incredibly scary that the president's doctor will not explicitly say that he tested negative. I mean, let's be clear. There's specific messaging that comes out of the administration where your average person will understand, right? And the jargon or even the messaging coming out of the White House is not that the president has tested negative. And overall, I'd say that's what Americans know about this disease right now. You're either positive, negative, all the jargon that suggests he won't give the disease to someone else in like medical speak, I don't think is helpful to the American people. It is scary that no one is willing to say that he's tested negative as he's flying out to Florida today. So a lot of people are saying at this point, Trump is basically trying to run the 2016 campaign all over again, despite the fact that Biden isn't Clinton and he's really behind the polls. Can we expect anything different, though, out of the campaign in the closing weeks? This has not been the most transparent campaign, I have to say, Hayes. Um, I do think on a messaging call today, I thought it was interesting that the campaign manager actually confirmed that they understood that the senior vote was slipping. And I guess the spin here was that, you know, in every re-election campaign, your support shifts and they're gonna pick up uh, more Hispanics and African-Americans. Outside of like voices for Trump or black voices for Trump, there's no indication of that. So um, I think that's interesting. And I think the way they're advertising, like pulling out of Ohio, just being assured, they literally said that they were confident that they're gonna win Ohio and that possibly their national ad campaign was just enough for that state. I thought that was very interesting also. Yeah, because apparently they've been pulling money out of and uh, spending out of uh, advertising for a bunch of key battleground states in recent weeks. So they're saying now instead that their national ad buys will just do the trick instead of these targeted ads. Yeah, so they listed 10 states that they are going to focus on. Their rationale was that Well, local uh, ad buys are just super expensive and they feel like they're hitting their targeted audience with these national ad buys. But others suggest that they just don't have the money to do it. And when you don't have enough money, that is an indication of the kind of support sometimes that you have. Well, Kadia, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. That was great, guys. Okay, we have time for one more thing. So last week, we got a DM on Twitter from someone because we mispronounced the name of a Chicago pizza restaurant when we were talking about the Netflix show Emily in Paris. We corrected the pronunciation on Friday's show and also may or may not have offered some of our opinions on so-called Chicago pizza. Well, the same listener who initially DM'd us, his name is Blake, by the way, sent us a follow-up voice memo over the weekend and, well, take a listen. Hey, this is Blake from Chicago. I sent you the correction about the name of the Chicago pizza restaurant. I give Hayes an 8 out of 10 on the pronunciation. It's Malnati's. You have to channel your inner Chicagoan for the A's. Malnati's. Now, to answer your question, Chicago pizza is the best pizza out there for three reasons. Number one, you can fit so many of your favorite ingredients into your deep dish pizza. Since the pizza is built vertically, 
you get that perfect bite of all the ingredients. Number two, the crust is the absolute best. Instead of some tasteless doughy crust, you get a thick, crispy, buttery crust. And number three, Chicago deep dish pizza is just a more refined eating experience. You have to sit down to eat it with a knife and fork. It's not like some floppy New York slice where you pray you don't drop it all over your shirt. We're just a bit more classy over here in Chicago. Anyway, come on out sometime and grab a Chicago deep dish. Okay, first I have to say that anyone that has like a three-point list about anything they're defending, I support that. <laughs> they have a lot of opinions. <laughs> I truly do support that. I'm like, okay, yes, you've convinced me. Okay, but yes, it seems like Blake has some feelings about Chicago versus New York pizza and also about those two cities in general. And as a neutral party living over here in LA, I'm just gonna say we love hearing from our listeners. So thank you, Blake. However, I think the case is closed on this one. There are probably other things in the world than pizza to be fighting about right now. So let's put this pizza dispute to bed for once and for all. And all agree that everyone needs to fucking get out and vote. The election's in three weeks, basically. I, I can get behind that. I mean, New York, Chicago, LA, wherever you are in the country, you should go out and vote whether or not you have your pizza in hand or on your plate with a fork and knife, whether it is delicious and easily transportable or basically just a toppings vault soaked in butter, whichever, it's fine. Just go out <laughs> and vote your heart. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that is it for today. Join us tomorrow when we talk to Chris Harrison about the season premiere of The Bachelorette. And remember, Columbus is in the bad place, and he deserves it. Be sure to subscribe to News O'Clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you go for your sound stories. And please take the time to leave us a rating and a review. It helps us figure out what you like about the show versus what you love about the show. And remember to set your alarm so you never miss an episode of News O'Clock. Progressive presents Forest Metaphors about bundling your home and auto. In sports, three goals is a hat trick. And when you bundle your home and auto with Progressive, you get a hat trick of great savings and round-the-clock protection. So you might be thinking, wait, that's two things. A hat trick is three. But in this metaphor, great savings counts as two goals, and so does round-the-clock protection. So it's like four goals, and that's more than three. It's basic math. Forest Metaphors, presented by Progressive. Bundle and protect today. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discount not available in all states or situations. I'm Jake Halpern, host of Deep Cover. Our new season is about a lawyer who helped the mob run Chicago. He bribed judges and even helped a hitman walk free. Until one day when he started talking with the FBI and promised that he could take the mob down. I've spent the past year trying to figure out why he flipped and what he was really after. Listen to Deep Cover on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Open to all teams and players, the NFL's Inspire Change Initiative acknowledges the ways that systemic racism contributes to barriers to opportunity and equality and focuses on ongoing efforts on creating progress in the areas of education, economic advancement, community and police relations, and criminal justice reform. To learn more about the NFL's commitment to ensuring a more equal and just future, text NFLIC to 635-635. It takes all of us to advance social justice.